This is Body Count. A horror movie podcast. With your hosts, Trent Scott and Graham Asher. <laughs> Hey, what's going on, Trent? And yes, welcome back, everybody, to Body Count. Um, like we said last time, we are full on in the middle of the month of October, which is the best month for scary movies, for scary costumes, for all this stuff that we talk about. So it's been fun. Absolutely. We're also coming up on our one year anniversary, Graham. Can you believe that? Uh, our first episode came out last year on Halloween when we did Halloween, the original. Um, so that kind of leads us to where we are today, where earlier this year we had taken a look at Halloween 2. And I said, well, in honor of Halloween, of course, we got to talk about Michael Myers. Sure. But <laughs> we got to stay in order of the chronology, which meant Halloween 3 was on deck. And Graham, I don't know about you, but well, actually, I was going to say, I didn't see Michael Myers in this movie. That's not true. I he did see Michael Myers in this movie. <laughs> he was, however, not the central character. Um, no. And Trent, I have one question to ask you. This is going to be a theme throughout the show. That question is, why? <laughs> oh, I know the answer to that. I, got the, I, can, I can handle this one. Money. <laughs> why? Why? why um yeah so this is the first like a lot of these older films you know I've, I've seen throughout the years or you know caught glimpses of them growing up you know before we had all these fancy streaming services you know they'd marathon halloween movies and and friday the 13th and stuff so i'm like okay maybe i caught caught this one nope <laughs> nope have not ever watched a Dude, frame of this movie I I tried to warn you at the end of the last episode, you were in for something. You were in for a treat with this one. I tried to warn you. I mean, goodness, bro. I've got a lot of thoughts. Um, this is like what, I, you know, I think, could you agree that um, for the franchise, they're like, let's forget about this one. <laughs> yeah. This one never happened. Yeah. It just never happened. Um, it doesn't even take place in the same universe because then they're, they're literally watching the yes, other Halloween the movie. movie. Yes. <laughs> so like there's some meta stuff going on yes. that I don't quite understand. Um, but yeah, that's my question throughout is why um, we're going to have fun with this one. I think, I think this is going to be a fun show because we can point out the absurdities that is Halloween. Oh, three. I've got so many questions about this movie. Um, yeah. Not a ton on this one. This, like I said, I think has purposely been forgotten. I've got a few, a few, bloody bits on this one but not um not my typical five or six there's like three um you might find them pretty interesting some of them are okay but yeah so halloween three season of the witch this is my first foray into it and um and yeah like i said why all right so are you ready to jump into our review gram yeah, we got to rip the bandaid off. Let's jump in. But before we jump in, Trent, we need your one sentence synopsis of Halloween three season of the witch. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the full title of this film, Graham. Halloween 3, <laughs> Season of the Witch. Because 
well, really, I don't have so much as a synopsis as, as one overriding question this, this time. Where's the witch? <laughs> Season Where's of the witch? the witch. There is no witch. I didn't see a witch unless... There were witch masks. Costumes, yeah. But the witch implies a singular, like, dark entity. Season uh-huh. of the witch. There is no witch. There's not even magic. Uh, there's a little bit of I magic. I mean, I guess you could call it magic. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's BS is what it is, but you could call it magic. So... That's kind of my starting point with this movie is where's why where where's the witch yeah. why is yeah this movie why, called... why is my question yours is <laughs> why where? is this movie called season of the witch <laughs> all right that's a fair question Grant great question okay so let's jump right into this plot summary where we um I you know even from the beginning but go ahead you start you start all right so we get our opening credits. It's your standard 80s light show, Mustafa Akkad. And remember that name, folks, because we're going to have to talk about him when this thing's over. Presents <laughs> Halloween 3. And- um, <laughs> sorry, like I'm quickly c- jumping in here. Were you going to mention the digital pumpkin on the screen? You know, <laughs> it's like they wanted to like take the, the jack-o'-lantern from the opening credits of the first two films and yes. be like, this is the new Halloween. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly, dude. Dude, someone at IBM like introduced them to a computer and they were like, yeah, we gotta put that in here. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, this movie is this movie is something, folks. So, after the uh, glorious opening title sequence, we begin our movie. We have a title card that tells us it is Saturday the 23rd of October. And we see a man running away from a car. He runs into like a parking lot. The car follows him. And eventually he's trying to sneak around without getting caught. But a man in a suit catches him and he takes him to the ground and he's strangling him. And as they're laying there, the man managed, the, the guy getting strangled manages to pull a chain, releasing a car that was sitting on blocks, crushing his attacker in between two vehicles and ring that bell that's number one okay boom body count number one man slowly crushed by car because when he pulled the the block from the thing that car is going like five miles miles (laughs) (laughs) i'm like he could have easily stopped it um it he probably could have stopped it or just like lessened the blow you know what i mean very easily nonetheless he was hurt gravely i guess um but this brings this brings me to my first question so at this point in my notes i think I'm i know like, what you're gonna ask and we'll we'll re, we'll, we'll put up we'll get this there. and revisit okay. revisit it later okay good because we i want to keep the chronology we, yes we want to keep the chronology of the film so yes i know what you're gonna ask and we will we will discuss it believe me okay good that's body count one man slowly <laughs> crushed by car <laughs> so uh, this allows the person being attacked to get up and run away. Then we get another title card. It tells us it's one hour later. Now we see a security guard is watching TV at what appears to be like a gas station, some kind of maybe like a, like a shop or something. Yeah, it's like a service station, yeah. 
And on the TV, there's a report about Stonehenge. And then for the first of approximately 782 times, we get to hear (laughs) the commercial for Silver Shamrock's Halloween Mask. And folks, if I had to listen to it that many times, you're going to listen to it once. Here's that commercial. Eight four days to Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. Eight four days to Halloween, Silver Shamrock. Eight four days to Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. Eight four days to Halloween, Silver Shamrock. Oh gosh, um, yes, um, happy, happy Halloween. Eight more days to Halloween, Halloween, <laughs> yeah. Halloween. Whatever. It's just bad. Silver um, Shamrock. <laughs> so bad. It's to the to the tune of okay, quick bloody bit. I didn't even write this one down because it was like, who cares? But I'm gonna bring it up now because you guys just heard it. That um commercial that they made is to the tune of London Bridges Falling Down. You know what? I didn't even snap to that. <laughs> yeah. And the reason why they did that because it was public domain. So. Rightfully so. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So at this point, the man who we saw in the first scene uh, runs up on the security guard and he's holding a Halloween mask of a jack-o'-lantern. And as he's passing out, he says, they're coming. They're coming. Yeah. Um, who? And I mean, we know who. He's got guys in suits chasing. We just don't know why. Yes. Um, and we don't know why he's holding that mask. So, like, I was, you know, okay, like, what, what's the significance? It ends up coming back, but not very well. So, anyway. Um, and this guy's name is Harry, I guess I saw from, from yes. the, the credits. Um, anyway. So, from there, we meet Dan, who will become our main character. Dan is at his ex-wife's house. He has brought his kids some Halloween mask, but their mom already beat him to the punch and got them some silver shamrock mask, which are all the rage. Yeah, how could she not get them silver shamrock masks when that commercial plays all the time? Because Literally every time we see a TV in this movie, the commercial plays. Yes. Um, see, I didn't know if it was his wife or ex-wife at this time. It ends up being his ex-wife. And I'm like, man, his wife is a bitch, dude. Like, she is not having any of his... Um, yeah, he's just trying to be nice, get him, get him masks, and, and she's just very cold to him. So that was my first thought. We find out why he's he's a little bit of a drinker. But anyway. Yes. So our next scene, we find out Dan is actually a doctor, and the security guard has brought the injured man to the hospital where Dan is working. And the guy wakes up, and he tells Dan, they're going to kill us all. Yeah, they're going to kill us, all of us. Um, you know, a little ominous meaning. He, he passes back out. Um, he's definitely a very troubled man. Yes. So Dr. Dan goes to, like, the faculty break room or whatever, and he falls asleep on a couch, and he is awoken by a blood-curdling scream because, you see, another man in a suit has arrived. He has snuck into the hospital, and he sneaks into Harry's room, and... He doesn't, it's it's kind of hard to describe what he does here. He doesn't yeah. like, at, at first I thought he was just going to pinch his nose and suffocate him. 
But that's not what he does. He actually grabs like the, the middle, the bridge of the nose and uses sheer power to rip it apart from his skull, causing Harry's death. And you can ring that bell for number two. Yeah, body count number two. <laughs> I, I wrote, smell you later. I don't know. Um, I always try to come up with something clever here, but like, yeah. So I just thought he was, you know, he's suffocating him, right? He's got his yeah. hand over his mouth, like you said, pinches his nose shut, but did not see the like nose dislocation <laughs> coming. Like, super weird looking. Um, so I'm I'm on alert at this point. Yes. So the scream that Dan had heard in the in the break room was the nurse discovering the body, and she points out the man who's just the murderer is just casually walking away. So Dr. Dan gives chase all the way out to the parking lot where we see the murderer gets into his car, pours gasoline all over himself, and sets the car ablaze, committing suicide. Ring that bell, that's number three. Yeah, body count number three. I I don't know how to describe that. Um, you could clearly see, like when they switched camera angles, that there was a dummy in the car when it blew up. Did you notice that? It was pretty funny. That's um, funny. So I'm yeah, but I'm just like I said, I had never watched this, so I'm just totally confused about like <laughs> what is because you know Halloween. Even even I know you had told me like, hey, you know, it doesn't go on with go along with the chronologically of the of the films. I'm expecting a singular killer or something, or I could tell there was a group of people coming after him, but did not expect the um, Tibetan monk style, um, <laughs> you know, end for that guy. Yes. So at this point, the police are there, all kinds of stuff is going on. So Dan has to phone his ex-wife and say, Hey honey, sorry. Well, I guess not his honey anymore, but Hey, sorry, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to pick up the kids. And his ex-wife is like, uh, calling him a loser and kind of griping him out and hangs up on him. And at this point, I'm on Dan's side. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, but that seems like he does that a lot. So Yeah, I said at this point, we'll come back to this. <laughs> <laughs> because you see, the net, now we get another title card. It is now Sunday, October the 24th. And Harry's daughter, who we will come to find out is named Ellie, has arrived. We're not told where she's from, but we're just told she's driven a long way to be there. and. She identifies his now horribly disfigured face and IDs the body. And that's all we get for that day because now we get another title card that tells us it's now Wednesday the 27th. So we've jumped ahead three days. And here we see Dr. Dan is talking to like a lab tech at the hospital. And she's like his most trusted one or whatever. So he wants her yeah. to make sure she examines the ashes of the murderer herself to find out, you know, what was going on. Who was that guy? Yeah. She's like a, a coroner or something. Right. Right. So now we skip ahead another couple of days and we get a title card that tells us it's Friday, October the 29th. So we're just zipping yeah. through the, the, through this week. <laughs> this is a quick week. Not a lot's happened, I guess. And Dr. Dan is sitting at a bar and we see Halloween is playing on the television. And by that, I mean the original film starring Jamie Lee Curtis is on TV. The best part of this movie. <laughs> um, so at this point, Ellie comes into the bar. They properly introduce themselves to each other. And Ellie asks, well, did, did, did my dad have any last words? And Dan, trying to be the nice guy, says, oh, yeah, he said, tell Ellie I love her. And she's like, you're not a very good liar. And then Dan reveals, okay, fine. What he really said was, 
They're going to kill us all. And then somebody showed up and killed them. So I'm a little freaked out. Yeah, Ellie, um, young, attractive um, woman there. Um, she just wants to find out what happened to her father. You can't rightfully so. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, she's tracked down Dan at the bar. He's a doctor who's smoking at the time, just pure 80s, right? Yes. <laughs> so um, so yeah, they gotta go doing some investigating, don't they? So they we find out that Ellie's father was like a toy store owner. He has a little shop. So they go to the shop he owned and she's been going through his books and realizes that he had gone to some little town called Santa Mira on the night of the 20th and then never made any more appointments uh, uh, starting with the 21st. So something happened in Santa Mira is her theory. Yeah, he, um, you know, Harry takes meticulous notes of his um, business transactions, his whereabouts, all that kind of stuff. So she clearly discovered a pattern there that that was the last time he kept a record. So remember when I said I was on Dan's side earlier? Yeah. I'm not anymore because he had agreed uh, to pick up his kids and he calls his ex-wife, hey, honey, sorry, business, gotta go. Because you see, Dan has decided he's going to go to Santa Mira with Ellie instead of picking up his kids. Yeah, with a six-pack in hand. Um, I mean, Ellie's pretty, so you can't really blame him a little bit, but you got to take care of your kids. I was about to say, what do you mean you can't really blame him? Yes, you can. This guy's a terrible father. <laughs> yeah, okay. True. I don't have kids yet, but I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that to my kids. <laughs> so at this point, uh, well, we see Dan and Ellie driving to Santa Mara, and we get a little backstory. It's a little Irish town that is almost wholly uh, employed by the Silver Shamrock factory. Yeah, it's a, it's a little teeny little town. Yeah, the factory is the, the main staple of, of the town that's keeping that town afloat. Yes. So, and we see as they arrive into town, as they drive by down the city streets, all the residents are staring at them very like suspiciously. Yeah, they don't like outsiders, it appears. So Dan and Ellie decide to uh, that they have to get into the factory uh, because that's the last known place that Harry was, right? So mm -hmm. they decide she's brought her father's order and they're going to pose as a husband and wife duo and try to go into the factory the next day. So in order to keep their uh, what you want to uh, keep their uh, ruse or something? Yes, keep their ruse going or whatever. They check into a hotel, but get just one room because they're a married couple, of course. Married couples don't get separate bedrooms. So they get it one depends room. depends on how long you've been married. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. And so as uh, Rafferty, the owner of the hotel and gas station that they're at, uh, is showing Ellie the room, Dan sneaks off into the office and he, in fact, finds Harry's name on the registry for the night of the 20th. So Harry definitely made it to Santa Mira, just like they thought. And uh, the uh, Rafferty and Ellie come back out of the room. They meet up with Dan. Dan's like, oh, yeah, don't worry. I already signed the book. I left you $40 for the room. And uh, a car drives by. And we're told that is Connell Cochran, the owner of the Silver Shamrock Factory. Yeah, he basically runs the town. That's what we're told, is that this guy is That's like... That's what we're told. Yes. Yeah. He, he saved the town. He's yes. the guy. Great man. All this stuff. Yeah. So then we meet the other guest at the hotel for the evening. There's Marge, who is also a shop owner. And 
a family of a husband, wife, and child um, who almost run over Dan. <laughs> yeah, the little kid's a little, uh, little rotten little kid, loud mouth. Um, but they're just, they kind of seem like uh, kind of bumpkins, you know what I mean? They're, uh, yes, they're just excited so. to be there. <laughs> yes. So then back in their room, Dan is like, oh, I guess I should sleep in the car. It'd be better than sleeping on the floor. She's like, no, that would blow our cover. And then she asks, well, where do you want to sleep? And at this point, they begin to make out. So now, (laughs) any suspicions we had about why Dan decided to make this trip with a chick he just met are answered. That's such a weird exchange. Like, um, Oh, there's a weirder one coming. (laughs) It's like... He's like, well, where do you want to sleep? He's like, that's the stupidest question ever, Ellie. And then, like, walks up to her slowly, and they kiss, and it's just like, what? Like, that didn't take long. There's a lot of sexual tension, I guess. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, they're going for it. She's grieving her father in her own way, Graham. Yeah, I guess so. So then we hear the 6 p.m. curfew for the town go off. There's, like, a siren and everything. 6 p.m. Where they're like, everybody go home, do your business at home. Nobody's out allowed out in the streets. And we see the most 1980s security camera <laughs> ever. It is so poor quality. It's hilarious. Dude, I, I wrote that exactly. I was the most low-def camera I have ever seen in my life. And like they can see that there's a bunch of cameras around town, like, like you said, Trent. Um, loudspeakers saying curfew. And I mean. It's just, it's just obviously it's weird, but like, I don't, I don't know. Just, let's just keep going. It's just, it's cheesy and stupid. <laughs> so uh, ignoring the curfew, Dan has gone to the local liquor store and gotten him a bottle of a little something, something. And on yep. his way back to the hotel, he bumps into a hobo. And the hobo is like, Hey man, that bottle looks a little heavy. Mind if I get a little, get a little sip of that. <laughs> and Dan's like, Sure. But do you know anything about Cochrane? And the hobo tells us, oh, yeah, Cochrane's the man who made this town. But he couldn't give me a job because he brought all of his employees from out of town, which is interesting. And he tells Dan to watch out for the cameras and that it's going to be the factory's last Halloween because he's going to burn that place down with some Molotov cocktails. Yeah, so the the hobo gets one sip of liquid courage and just <laughs> he lets loose. Yeah, he starts acting more defiant by the second. Yes, um. <laughs> but not for long because you see, as they make their separate ways, the hobo makes his way back to his little. I, I don't even know what you want to call, I call it. It's I like a parentheses sh- home, but yeah. it's a shed. It's like a yeah, where he's eating bread with cheese whiz. The men in suits <laughs> return. And as he's begging for his life, he's down on his knees. They rip his head smooth from his body. Ring that bell. That's number four. Body count number four. Yes. Ripped his head clean off. Um, An amazing show of strength by these gentlemen. And we get like a good um, like 30 foot shot of like blood spewing up like a fountain. Yes. I was like, oh, gosh, this is violent. Yes. So back at the hotel, Ellie has um, met Marge, who's the other uh, guest there who owns a shop much like Harry did. And Marge reveals she's there to pick up an order in person, 
but she's complaining about the quality of the mask and shows her there's like the silver shamrock like logo thing on the back of the mask one of them has fallen off and marge makes her way back to the room and she places the logo thing on the desk and as she's putting her stuff down we see she knocks it down and there's some kind of electronic device on the back of this but she doesn't notice it yeah it's like a microchip um on the back side of this yeah i didn't know what to call it it's like it's like a insignia it's a it's a tag it's a logo it's uh yeah but yeah it's it's on the back of every mask yes so then dan is talking to the lab tech rose again and she says well i've actually wasted two days because the stuff i've been sifting through is actually car parts there's nobody in here yeah who could make that mistake yes so then Dan makes his way back to the room. Eddie seals the deal with Eliana boy, Dan. <laughs> yeah, she's, they didn't pack any clothing. Like the, the right. guy at the inn was like, you guys packed light because it's just like one bag. Yeah. Um, but she does have some fancy lingerie on somehow. Yeah, so I guess she just she wears that. She didn't manage to pack that. <laughs> yeah, she wears that under her clothes or she packed it. Um, but yeah, Dan, Dan, Dan gets it done. So then I told you there was another creepy exchange coming. So yes. uh, this is this is where it happens. Because you see, after they're done having sex, Dan decides to ask, how old are you? Yes. These are questions we ask first, Dan. Yeah, I wrote, I go, okay, you just now ask me for age of consent? Really? Like, after you've already gone there? So um, uh, we got back over to Marge, who has now discovered the chip thing on the back of the logo and she's playing with it. She's got like some like tweezers or whatever. I think it's like a hair bobby pin. Whatever. As she's playing with it, we get the worst special. It looks like a, like a lightsaber <laughs> effect. Like she like touches it and like it <laughs> smashes her in the face, melting her face. Ring that bell. That's number five. The lightsaber to the face. <laughs> Dude, when you said light, I'd love it. Lightsaber, yes. Um, I said body count number five. Who had death by laser on their body count bingo card? Yes. <laughs> so um, after her face is melted off and she's killed, we see from nowhere a bug crawls out of her mouth. Yeah. Ew, gross. Yeah. Where'd it come from? It's like a, it's like a cricket. It's like a... Ugh. So Dan and Ellie then go for round two and then they hear outside there's some commotion and they look out and there's a bunch of Silver Shamrock employees loading Marge away and Cochran is there and Dan's like, I'm a doctor. Let me take care of her. Cochran's like, no, no, we have the finest facility in my factory. She'll get the best care. Yeah. Well, I mean, red flags, obviously, but yeah. yeah I mean, why Dan's should I go right to a hospital? Yeah, rightfully so. Dan's like, yeah, I'm a doctor. Let me take a look. And he's yeah. an emergency room doctor at that. Yes. So, um, yeah. But then we hear Dan and Rafferty having what's supposed to be a private conversation. And Rafferty asks what happened. And Connell says it was a misfire. But Dan and Ellie overhear it too. And they're like, misfire? What does that mean? Yeah, it's like the like the worst attempt to have a secret conversation when you're two feet away from somebody and you just like turn your back to them, like they can still hear. But yes, we hear the words misfire. So then we get another title card. It is now Saturday, October the 30th. 
And Dan is once again talking to the lab tech Rose. And she says, if she didn't know better, she would think somebody is messing with these ashes. Because once again, she's gone through a pile and there's no bud, no bones, none, no human DNA anywhere to be found in these ashes. Yeah, it's like, it, it's so, it's so bad. It's like a pile of like, like, uh, like rubber seals and springs. Yes. And <laughs> it's just like, like, obviously that's not a human. Yes. So then, uh, Dan and Ellie make their way to the Silver Shamrock factory. And uh, the lady, they're like, oh, this is the order. And the lady's like, your dad already picked that up. And then Cochran shows up again. He's like, we'll give you the, the order for free. Mm-hmm. You see, Dan and Ellie aren't the only ones there because the family staying at the hotel with them are also there. And they're there for a tour of the faculty because you see, they are the top mask salesmen in the country, we find out. And the family invites Dan and Ellie to join them on the tour. And Cochran's like, okay, yeah, sure, you guys can come. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess that's exciting for the salesman and his family to see how the, how the, uh, <clears throat> well, what's the word? What's that turn of phrase? I don't know how sausage the tea is made. made. Yeah, how the sausage is made. There you go. I don't know why I couldn't think of that. But yeah, they're very, very excited to go see this factory and see how these latex masks are made. And, oh, and I should point out that uh, to keep up their ruse, that Dan and Ellie have referred to themselves as Mr. and Mrs. Smith, the married yeah. couple. Yes. Yeah, they, they thought of that on the spot. <laughs> yes, very creative. <laughs> so they go through a tour, and eventually the, the, the shop owner's kid's like, hey, I want this jack-o'-lantern mask. And Cochran tells him, oh, no, that one hasn't been through final processing yet. But here, take this one that has. Yeah, and then they, they're like, well, what does final processing mean? And he's like, oh, that's just our final quality yeah. control. Cochran's like, know. trade secrets. Like, I can't tell you, trade yeah. secrets. But then Dan notices, hmm, there's a lot of guys in suits around here that look an awful lot like the dude who killed your dad, Ellie. Maybe we should get out of here. And then Ellie spots her father's car being hidden. So she runs up a couple of men in suits, stop her. And Dan's like, let's get out of here. Yeah. They're definitely getting weird vibes. Um, Yeah. She runs up to, to get a closer look at the car because why wouldn't you? And they don't even have to say anything. She just like kind of catches their eyes and she's like, okay, I'm going to back off. So Dan and Ellie make their way back to the hotel and they agree to leave, but Dan is going to call the police first as Ellie packs. So Dan leaves the room and he tries to call the police from the front office and the phone will not work. He can't get it to go through. So he goes back and the door to the room is wide open. Ellie is gone and he sees in the parking lot a group of the men in suits are coming after him. So he takes off and they go chasing after him. Yeah, um, that was a, you know, one of one of the redeeming qualities. Uh, if there's any of the of the film, is that was a cool shot to see the like the six or seven guys. Yes, in a row. Yeah, yeah, in a row with cool lighting. So, okay, yeah. that's that's a plus. So then back at the factory, we see that they do in fact have Ellie, and they have taken her hostage. So Dan decides he's got to break into the factory. And he comes face to face with like a lady 
sitting in a chair knitting. He's like, hey, where did they take Allie? And he like starts to shake her and her head falls off and it's just a doll. It's like a robot. Yes. So it's like a mechanical toy thing. Yeah. So Cochran. Oh, actually, I'm getting ahead of myself. So then uh, a couple more of the men in suits show up. Dan gets into a fist fight with one of them. His punches don't seem to have hurt the guy at all. They tussle to the floor. When Dan decides, uh, instead of working over the face, he's going to take it to the body. He's been studying his Deontay Wilder tapes. He, uh, <laughs> he goes low, and he punches right through the guy's stomach, and he pulls back, and his fist is covered in this yellow liquidy goo. It's coming out of the guy's mouth. So at this point, I would say ring the bell, but Cochran has arrived. And Cochran reveals, yeah, they're just basically robots. That it's nothing more than mask making, really. Yeah, so we can't ring the bell anymore for these yeah. henchmen. So no more they are bells. Not people. <laughs> and we're retroactively taking the bells away from the guy that got crushed by the car and the guy that set himself on fire. So our real body count is back down to three at this point harry marge and the hobo are our only three victims okay i'm i'm totally cool with that and we're on the same page here so cochran also reveals that he knows exactly who dan and harry uh, dan and ellie really are he calls dan by his name reveals he knows he's a doctor all that kind of stuff and he says that tomorrow is going to be a busy day and as a man of medicine dan should be very interested yeah, and you know, if you were pay, paying attention to the silver silver shamrock commercials, I mean, they've been giving us a countdown. Yes, we there's a big giveaway scheduled for 9 p.m. Uh, that, that they're doing like a horror movie marathon featuring Halloween, and at 9 p.m. they're going to announce the big winner. So 9 p.m. is like the big deadline that they've been promoting. All these commercials are leading up to. Yeah, I mean, and these commercials are are. Constant. So, I mean, you've yes. been like basically subliminally, subliminally brainwashed into, if you're a kid, I guess you've got to tune into that. So um, anyway, we're almost to that countdown date. So now we get the title card telling us it is in fact Sunday, the 31st of, Ac- of October. It is Halloween. Mm-hmm. And Cochran and the men in suits escort Dan into final processing. Bum, bum, yeah. bum. Conveniently labeled on the door. And once inside, do you remember that TV report about Stonehenge we saw earlier? <laughs> well, the missing rock from Stonehenge is here in final processing. You see, Connell Cochran managed to steal a stone from Stonehenge and have it shipped to California without anyone finding out or seeing it. Okay, so Cochran is supposed to be irish right yes stonehenge is in scotland sure okay which is close to ireland anyway i thought there was going to be like a significance of it being in the same country but even then it's not but yes he has smuggled a stonehenge rock and remember, into his these rocks are freaking huge <laughs> you couldn't it's just i don't it's i don't i don't know how much airplanes can hold i'm sure they can they can hold tons and tons and tons so i think they could move it but like in 1982? How are you going to smuggle this? I mean, they are very, very, very big. Yes. Because remember, folks, this is, not, this is not 2021 that we're talking about. This is 1982. 
things yeah. are a lot less advanced. This is 40 years ago almost. <laughs> yeah. So um, anyway, I'm just like, what? Okay. How does, I was wondering why earlier we like kind of focused that there was a documentary on Stonehenge going on. This has come full circle. So good job, filmmakers. That'll be the only time you say that. <laughs> this is uh instead of Chekhov's gun, I guess this is Chekhov's Stonehenge. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> so then uh the place, the factory is of course covered with security cameras, the rest of the town was. So of course the factory is, and on one of the monitors, Cochran points out to Dan, I've got Ellie, and she's tied up or tied down, I should say, to a table in one of the one of the rooms. Yep. So then we cut away to the family uh, that was taking the tour and they are brought to a room by one of the men in suits and they tell the kid, put on your mask and the TV commercial comes on. And <laughs> as the commercial gets going, there's like a strobe effect on a flashing jack-o'-lantern. We see like the mask melts, the logo on the back of it starts glowing. The kid dies. Ring the bell. That's number seven. Um, uh, is it seven? Or I guess it's actually four now. <laughs> yeah, four now. Since we retroactively took away the three kills. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's four. Excuse me. Good catch. Um, this causes the mother to pass out. The dad starts trying to break out of the room. Meanwhile, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of like crickets and stuff have come pouring out of this kid. And then after the bugs come out, here comes the snakes. <laughs> and, and so we see a snake bite the dad on the leg. I think it is reasonable to assume that mommy and daddy did not make it out. So ring the bell two more times. Boom. That's buddy counts four, five, and six. Uh, what am I watching? Yes. Um, so crickets come pouring out of that mask, which is... I mean, impossible. Um, and then snakes, more impossible. There's like a Western diamondback rolling around in there. Like, it's so weird. So I guess that mask um, laser beam tag can conjure bugs and snakes. Trent? Everyone knows the Stonehenge rocks can <laughs> cause teleportation of animals. Duh. Okay. All right. Well, yes, let's believe that. So all this while Dan is watching on helplessly. And then this is low key. One of my favorite, what happens next is low key. One of my favorite things <laughs> in the movie, because you see they do a montage to show yeah. kids all across the country wearing the mask. Right. So we yeah, see those, those masks are flying off the shelves. Yes. So we see kids from all of the major cities in the U S Dayton, Ohio, Omaha, Nebraska, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Yes. What? Why do they pick these cities? Yes. Like, what is going on? Dude, this is word for word what I have in my notes. I'm like, all right, <laughs> there's a number of major cities across the country. Seattle, Washington, New York, New York, yeah. Los Angeles, California. And then you throw it, I'm like, a Dayton, Ohio? Like, yeah, okay. so the, the first one was Dayton. I was like, oh, that's weird. Is that where, yeah. did they say, Dan, was Dan from Dayton? Is that where his kids are? And yeah. then I went to, and so then the second one was New York, New York. I was like, oh, I guess they just made a weird choice for the first city. And then they go from New York to Omaha to yeah. Baton Rouge. I was like, Baton what Rouge. the hell is going on here? 
I'm like, well, who's picking these cities? Because oh, like all the cities you could have picked, <laughs> Dayton, Omaha, and Baton Rouge are picked to show. Yes. Oh, millions of kids have these masks. <laughs> Seriously. Absolutely, my favorite thing <laughs> in this movie was this montage. <laughs> it was so funny, dude. I did the same thing. Like, what? Oh my god! I mean, even in 1982, I don't think they know how no. it was like a like no. A, we can't get a Chicago or yeah, Houston. Chicago. No, yeah. we get Dayton and Baton Rouge. <laughs> I mean, even New Orleans for gosh. Yes, yeah, you could have picked different cities. You could pick New Orleans from Louisiana. Cleveland, Cleveland, Cincinnati. Yeah. If you wanted something from Ohio, no, no, we get Dayton and Baton Rouge. So bad, dude. Oh my god. Yes, I'm glad. I'm glad oh. that wasn't just like completely hilarious and absurd. Oh my god. Know. When Baton Rouge popped up, I think it's the hardest I laughed. So then, uh, back to the actual movie. Uh, Rose tries to call Dan at the hotel. We know Dan's not there, of course. And uh, she says, oh, she's like uh, talking out loud, basically. She says, this isn't car parts. And then we see a man in the suit has arrived. One of Cochran's robot thingies is there. And just as she's She's like playing with one of the pieces. We kind of see, and I don't know how you would ever come to this conclusion, but it appears she comes to the conclusion. These must be robot parts. I don't know how as a medical professional you would ever come to that conclusion. But we see it arise. She figures it out somehow. Just as the man in suit arrives with a drill in hand, pins her to the ground, and drills her to death. Ring that bell. That's number seven. Number seven, drill to the head. Yes, dude. She's looking at like, like some gears, and then she has an epiphany that it's <laughs> this a, must robot? Be a robot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, good for her, I guess. But what? Oh my god! It doesn't even look like a. It's not a robot. First no. of all, <laughs> and and she's I said, like, oh. wait, we didn't even talk about it. What the hell was the weird yellow liquid stuff that came out of it? Yeah, no clue. If it would have been like black, I could have been like, oh, it needs like oil or something to run. Yeah. But what the oil hell was can. the yellow stuff? Yeah. I mean, um, is that antifreeze or lubricant? <laughs> I don't know, but it didn't make sense. Um, so back at the uh, Silver Shamrock factory, Dan is now uh, in a room tied to a can chair. I, can I point out that there's like 30 minutes left in this movie? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, we still, got, I, we still got tons more of, of this to go, buddy. I'm like looking at the uh, at like the time left, and I'm just like, good God. <laughs> like 30 more minutes. <laughs> so anyway, so Dan is tied up. And at this point, Cochran reveals his big evil plan. So let's hear the speech from Connell Cochran himself. Halloween. The festival of Samhain, the last great one took place 3,000 years ago when the hills ran red with the blood of animals and children. Sacrifices are part of our world, our craft. Witchcraft? To us, it was a way of controlling our environment. It's not so different now. It's time again. In the end, 
We don't decide these things, you know. The planets do. They're in alignment. And it's time again. The world's going to change tonight, Doctor. I'm glad you'll be able to watch it. So basically, Cochrane's big evil plan is yada yada, something evil, this movie needs a plot. Yeah, so like he's explaining, is he explaining witchcraft? Is he explaining, he, then he talks about how the planets like are aligned. Saturn or like, something? Is this like astrology? Like, wh- <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> I mean, goodness. So then Cochran puts one of the masks on Dan's face and makes him watch TV, where once again, Halloween is playing. And Cochran leaves the room, and Dan has somehow got a pocket knife on him that they didn't take away. So Dan is able to cut himself free incredibly easily. Cochran's a really bad supervillain. He is. And also, it's just like, why take the time to, like, show Dan around and all about your evil plan, if not just for the convenience of, like, the audience? You know what I mean? Like, why not just kill him? Why not just kill him? Because rip his head off, like who cares? <laughs> because <laughs> okay, okay, because reasons, <laughs> because reasons. So, after cutting himself free with his pocket knife, Dan then sneaks into a vent, and Cochran is alerted up. Dan's gone, he's escaped from his room, and Dan <laughs> makes his way <laughs> into like one of the offices there in the factory and he calls his ex-wife like honey <laughs> call the cops i'm at this factory in santa mira they're trying to kill everyone and she's like you're drunk you good for nothing and she hangs up on him yeah he's like tell the kids to take the masks off <laughs> and she's like shut up drunky <laughs> she hangs up on him yeah. um so then dan uh discovers ellie he breaks her free and then um, they're like sneaking around, trying to find a way out of the factory. <laughs> and so they have a rack of masks that they're standing behind. As like all, Cochran and all of his robots are like standing in the middle of the room. We just see this rack of masks wheeling across the floor. And none of the robots or anybody thinks anything's weird about this. They just let it go. it's like like definitely in their peripheral yes and why would a rack of masks be in the control room anyway but uh regardless this brilliant plan works and allows dan and ellie to cross the room so then dan emboldened by his apparently uh newfound uh, power of invisibility sneaks (laughs) Across directly into the control room, starts pressing buttons. I don't know when Dan the doctor learned how to control uh, televisions and stuff, but uh, here we go. He's punching stuff on the switchboard. Yeah, he's just hitting a bunch of buttons on the switchboard. <laughs> and this causes all of the TVs in the room, there's like a circle of them, to start playing the big giveaway uh, for, the, uh, for the robots. And then Dan and Ellie make their way up to like the rafters of the room while the video is playing, distracting all the robots. And Dan 
has a bag full of the like bugged logo dealies that he just pours on top of the robots. Sparks fly everywhere. <laughs> the light, the, 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 the lightsaber effect comes back. We get a shot of all the robots. In a perfect circle. Yes. We get a shot of all the robots dying and then a perfect circle uh, around this circle of TVs of the light forms. Cochrane looks up at them from the from the floor, applauds their grand plan working, and then is vaporized as the light show blasts through him onto the Stonehenge rock, causing the Stonehenge rock to explode. Did I get all that correct, Grab? You got all of it correct. Uh, Cochrane, I guess, deserves bells because he's a real boy, yes. you see. So Cochrane becomes, well, I don't even know what we're at, uh, 10? Eight. Eight. Well, I don't care. Yeah, because we had to we had to get rid of two. Yes. Um Three. so yes, but body count, yeah. Body count number eight is where I got it. Sure, we'll go with that. So then Dan and Ellie are driving home. It's not over yet. It's not over yet. <laughs> they killed the supervillain, but the movie's not over yet. I mean, shouldn't that like I don't know, it's big control room, so like I, I mean, I know how TV commercials work. I mean, first of all, you got to buy all that ad space, then you got to give them the tape. Um, what if they played the wrong commercial out of order? Uh, I don't know. Anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm like in my mind, I'm like, I'm hoping that that just like makes so that none of the commercials go off. Yeah, no, that'd be, that'd, be, that'd be too easy because Dan and Ellie are driving away. And for those of you who have been paying attention, ever since she was rescued, Ellie has not spoken a single word. Mm, she's just being quiet, I thought. So then Ellie, as they're driving, attacks Dan out of nowhere. So he slams into a tree. He stumbles out of the car. And he makes his way around. And we see a disconnected robot arm. Ellie is a robot. So we can presume the real Ellie is dead somewhere. Ring the bell again. That's number Boom. nine. That's number nine. Um, yeah, that's exactly how I have it. I mean, she had to die at some point. So Yes. So Dan grabs a hammer from the trunk that has flown open and uses it to beat back the robot Ellie. And <laughs> then things come full circle because now Dan is on foot and he runs to the same gas station with the same security guard that we saw Harry run to at the beginning of the movie. And he asks the security guard... Just like Harry, where's your phone? And we see the clock. It is now 8.59. The big giveaway is supposed to run in one minute. So Dan somehow knows the phone number to all the, the TV networks. TV stations, yeah. <laughs> just and, locally. And he called. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Is it just locally or is it not? Because if it's just locally, he's really not saving that many people. Yeah, I get Well, so he like apparently knows the head of ABC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so he calls and he's like, you just have to believe me. Millions of people are going to die if you run the commercial. And we see the commercial starts playing and then whew, technical difficulties. So then he changes the channel and, oh, no, the, the commercial's running on this channel as well. Technical difficulties. And then they change it to the third channel. And as... Dan is yelling, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. Credits roll. This deserves an awkward silence. <laughs> this 
you know, Graham, we normally talk about horror movies on this podcast. I feel like today we did not talk about a horror movie. I feel like I feel like today we talked about a motion picture. This (laughs) is a piece of art. Oh, no. Oh, no. I know you don't mean this. I know you don't mean this. This is this is. Okay. If let me pose you a question. The real questions here. If you were told I have to strap you down and you have to watch the same movie 10 times in a row or you're going to die. Would you rather watch this or New Year's Evil again? Oh, that is a tough question. <laughs> um, probably New Year's Evil, honestly. This is worse. <laughs> this is worse. I, dude, I don't know. I found some perverse joy in this. I kind of like this movie because of just how bad it was. It's so bad. Yeah, it's terrible. Uh, um, I can laugh at Baton Rouge. Oh, my God. Yeah, you know, for the comedy factor, I guess both of them would be end up being kind of... That's true, because New Year's Evil, you got the creepy kid with the baddie yeah. nose over his head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's some pretty funny Oh, my God. Um, um, I just wasn't expecting it on this one. <laughs> I just wasn't expecting it. I Dude, knew New Year's I Evil was going to be bad. I tried to warn... Go back and listen to the end of the last episode. <laughs> I tried to warn you. I was like, look, man, this is not this is not Halloween. This is something totally, totally different. Well, I have a little bit of explanation for that. Okay? Yes. So my, yes. my, my original thoughts is like, you know, WTF did I just watch? <laughs> Why? Why did they make this? This was clearly, in my mind... And I guess I'm wrong, but like, I'm like, this was clearly not meant to be a Halloween movie. This is just some kind of script that the studio had of some kind of 80s weird sci-fi that happened to take place on Halloween that they were like, hey, we need another Halloween movie for the money and they're going to produce it. But that's not how it is. Oh, no, no, no. This was always intended to be Halloween. This was intentional, which makes it worse. So um, here's my bloody bit and an explanation um, from John Carpenter. So it says that John Carpenter didn't actually plan on having Michael Myers in every Halloween film, only the first one. Um, he wanted a different, he basically he wanted an um, anthology, um, Halloween related story each each time. So think, I don't know, Black Mirror, or I know there's one on Hulu that's an anthology about horror. Um, the first one was called The Body. I forget what, what, what um, that series is called, but anyway. But after the success of Halloween, um, they the producers were like, no, we got to go back to that well and get get Michael Myers again. Keep so they did cashing them checks. Yeah, so they did. Um, but he killed off, as you guys remember, Michael Myers and Loomis um, in the second one because he wanted to be done with him. Um, he produced a season of The Witch to get back to his original plan. But at that point, people were expecting Michael Myers, of course. Uh, so this movie totally bombed for a number of reasons. So then it says Carpenter then dropped the franchise and sold the rights. Um, because he want, wasn't interested in doing more Myers. So the new owners then brought Michael Myers and Loomis back in 1988 with no explanation to how they survived. So you're the, you're the Halloween um, you know, expert. Um, do they not explain? I know we're going to review it next time. Maybe we should just wait. But We will discuss that in two weeks. Okay, let's discuss that in two weeks. But anyway, there's your explanation. Um, John Carpenter's plan for the Halloween franchise was to make it an anthology where every single Halloween movie was going to follow a different story, different characters, not exist in the same universe. 
um, he got his wish and we got this. Yeah. And that's how, uh, like I said at the beginning, this is how Mustafa Akkad gained control of the series. And we got this and the subsequent, even the subsequent films with which would bring back Michael Myers. Those were all ran by the Akkad family and had nothing to do with John Carpenter all the way up until H2O. Okay. Well, wow. So you got some kind of a B movie pleasure out of this movie, I guess. Dude, I kind of like it, dude. I don't know. I kind of liked it. If I had to watch it again, knowing what I know now, I think I could enjoy it. But like I said, you know, I'm watching this movie. I'm taking notes. I got to analyze. I got to make sure I got the body count right. I got to make sure I can follow the characters and the plot. And I'm just like, dude, it took me like four hours to get through this movie because I'm just <laughs> like, I'm like, I got I to gotta watch it in like 10 minute increments. Um, All right. Well, before we get too far and we start talking about the cast and all that kind of stuff, I've got a couple of questions for you, Graham. Cool. So if Cochrane succeeded and killed millions of people, what was his end goal? I have no idea. <laughs> exactly. Um, he he <laughs> describes in his little story about was it like centuries ago that like in Ireland? I mean, it's supposed to be about witchcraft, but it's not. It's poorly explained. Um, yeah, what would be the end game? And like, we only saw we only saw cities around the United States. So it's just just like a an Irish plot take over America. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> the potato farmers are coming for us. Yeah, no kidding. Um, they're like, oh, America's up for grabs now. Um, so so then, I don't know what the yes. end game is. And then the other question that I had as I was watching this is: so Silver Shamrock have three masks, right? There's the witch. There's like the, uh, skeleton. the like skeleton and the jack-o'-lantern, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're told, basically, oh, all the kids want to have the silver shamrock mask, right? Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know about you, but as a kid, I didn't want to have the same Halloween costume as everybody else. I wanted no. my costume to be cool. Different. Yes. So right off, the, right off from the start, I'm like, everyone's dressing in the same three costumes that doesn't make any sense yeah and like that's where i was trying to trying to think like okay you know it's the 80s less choices i guess um you know less um still, companies producing be, things nobody wants to be a ghost or a vampire or something yeah yeah or right werewolf yeah, so we're just assuming that like everybody just had, I mean, they did flood the market with those ads. So maybe, uh, you know, marketing worked. But yeah, you're right. Like, it's just the so, same three. So we're just supposed to assume that these masks are like the Tickle Me Elmo? Like, all the kids <laughs> got to have one? They got to have it. Yeah, I guess so. Um, but yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, when you're a kid, you want to be something different, unique. Um yeah, I mean, I went as a Ninja Turtle. My mom made my costume nice. um, when I'm like six. Yeah, like I'm a Ninja Turtle. Um, you know, a lot of people didn't have the um, the money to just be shelling out money on these masks either. Tons of homemade costumes when we were young, right? Of course. Yeah, so good point. 
<laughs> well, I feel like it's time to talk about uh, about some other stuff, including what the critic. We've told you what we th- thought about the film, but what did the mm. critics have to say, Graham? Okay, I'm going to say this is like a 20. With 27 reviews from critics. Halloween 3, Season of the Witch is certified rotten at 41%. 41? Which is interesting because with 50,000 reviews, the audience score sits at a measly 27%. So in fact, by a wide 14% margin, the critics like this movie more than you and me. I can... The tomato meter never fails to just confuse me. So basically just universally, like, not very well liked. Oh, yeah, the movie sucks. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, 41% is still a terrible score. Yeah. And of the 59% of critics who didn't like it, that includes our good old friend, Roger Ebert. Oh, I can't wait to hear. Who reviewed this film on Halloween of 1982, giving it one and a half out of four stars. (laughs) And I'm just going to read his opening paragraph. There were a lot of problems with Halloween 3, but the most basic one is that I could never figure out what the villain wanted to accomplish if he got his way. His scheme is easy enough to figure out. He wants to sell millions of Halloween masks to the nation's kitties and then brainwash them to put them on at the same time, whereupon laser beams at the base of the neck will fry the tights. Meanwhile, (laughs) he runs a factory that turns out lifelike robots. What's his plan? Kill the kids and replace them with robots? Why? (laughs) yeah okay so like the technology didn't exist then and doesn't exist now i don't think to make uh, a human android that realistic looking right right um he manages to pull it off like okay you could see okay he's got a bunch of these henchmen they all look the same right Mm -hmm. but he manages to turn ellie into a robot in like a few minutes minutes yeah (laughs) yeah like how how, how, how? <laughs> uh, the tagline for this movie is the night no one comes home. <laughs> and um, that's actually not even accurate because the whole point is his plan is he wants everyone at home watching the movie. Home watching it, yeah. <laughs> watching the show or the commercial. Um, I'd say no one is no one's getting home on time because they're demanding their money back at the box office. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of the box office, this movie. Uh, grossed a whopping $14 million domestically. Yeah, that, I, I would call that a flop, even from those standards. Uh, I mean, to, standards. To be fair, it was made on a production budget of just $2.5 million, so it was profitable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This has to be the lowest grossing in the franchise, though. That is a good question. No. Really? So Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers, would only gross $11 million at the domestic box office. Man, box office fatigue right there. They were like, you fooled me once with Season of the Witch. I'll go ahead and check out The Return of Michael Myers. Yeah. By the way, it would take another six years for them to come back with Halloween 4 because they really had to uh, get the foul taste of this movie out of people's mouths. Yeah. I mean, could you imagine paying for this? (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, so, Graham, uh, any more bloody bits? Yeah. 
I've got a couple more. Um, so, you know, when Dan is trying to dial the police um, before Ellie is kidnapped and um, before the henchmen come after him and all that sequence of events happens, he keeps trying to dial and he keeps getting the voice of an operator that's saying, you know, your typical, this call cannot be completed as dialed type of thing. Right. That voice is in fact the voice of Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, I didn't even notice. Yeah, so she actually, um, I wouldn't call it reprising her role, but she, um, right. she, she provides the voice of the telephone operator, which is interesting. And the other bloody bit, like I said, guys, these aren't very good. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis one is interesting enough, um, but this one is that small town of Santa Myra was also the setting for Invasion of the Body Snatchers. So there you go, the fictional town of Santa Myra, or Mira, rather, um, is also the setting for another, you know, a pretty famous movie, I guess, Invasion yeah, of the Body Snatchers. Um, so yeah, there you go. Those are my bloody bits. All right, let's talk about the cast real quick. Uh, Tom Atkins in the role of Dr. Dan our hero i guess who cares about some chick he literally just met more than his children it's supposed to be our hero i'm not sure why that decision was made in the character development sense but uh how did you think the performance came across you know honestly i really didn't think he was that bad um i mean it's a bad script it's a bad story but i didn't think he was terrible you know what i mean he didn't seem to like, he overacted at the end there, but um, I didn't really have a problem with Tom, Tom Atkins in this. I thought he was, I thought he was fine. I mean, I can't imagine anybody else doing any better. Um, I could definitely see some people doing worse because we've seen worse acting in like New Year's Evil. But um, yeah, I thought he was, I thought he was okay. what do you think? Uh, I guess, like you said, I guess it could have gone much worse in other hands, but uh, kind of is yeah. what it is. It is uh, what it is. Dan O'Herlihy as Connell Cochran, our big supervillain here. Again, bad story, bad script, bad screenplay, whatever. Um, him as an actor, I thought, he, uh, yeah, again, I, I mean, he he played the part fine, you know? Yeah, actually, I kind of liked him. I, 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 I got the uh, sense of, like, lingering evil from him. I, I, I kind of I yeah. liked him. Yeah, and he then, was... He, he played, he was good. It's like, he could have been a good Bond villain or something, you know? Like, um, he was kind of, I don't know. He, he was fine. Yeah, and then really the only other character that matters, Stacey Nelkin as Ellie. He was okay. I mean, you know, she was pretty. Um, I, didn't, I didn't get all the choices that they made for her to, to start a relationship with Dan, but I mean, I thought she was fine. You know, I don't really have anything bad to say about the actors. Actually, I thought she was the best part of the movie. Yeah. I thought she I was she... engaging. I thought she was charming. But uh, you mentioned the decision to have her and Dan have a relationship. I was curious about this as well. So Stacey Nelkin, the actress, was born in 1959. So when this movie came out, she was 23. Okay. Tom Atkins was born in 1935. 
which means when this movie came out, he was 47. He was more than twice her age. Now look, I know sometimes in life that happens, but that's pretty rare. And that's a pretty big age gap that we're supposed to brush aside. Yeah, that tends to happen a lot in um, in well, film. It's, it's like... I guess my problem, sorry to, to cut you off, but I guess my problem is more like, it's not even like he looked like he could play younger. Like we could believe, oh, he's 37. Yeah, yeah, No, yeah. he looked every bit of 47. Whereas she actually looked like a young 23. She yeah, could have she been did. 19. Yeah, 100%. So um, just visually, they do not go together. Nope. Yeah, it was a weird choice to, to get them romantically involved. Like, did, how did that further the plot in any way? Uh, yeah, it really didn't. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's just, it's just, it just weird. provided an excuse for Dan to, to be there. Yeah. All right. So, I guess that uh, kind of puts a bow on, on this just heck of a time at the movies. Um, do you have any closing thoughts on Halloween 3, Graham? Um, I'll reiterate why. But, why? Um, but why, no. why, why? I mean, honestly, it's it's bad. But, like, I'm glad I watched it because it, it is funny and I had a good time talking about it with you. So if, that's my silver lining is it was, it was entertaining. <laughs> so uh, I think that's going to do it for Halloween, for our discussion on Halloween 3. And like we discussed last time, for our one-year anniversary, we have to talk about the reemergence of Michael Myers in Halloween 4, the return of Michael Myers. And as Graham pointed out last week, they wanted to make sure everybody knew when this movie was coming out. This is the return <laughs> of Michael Myers. They put it right there in yes. the title. It's right there. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back to Michael Myers, especially after that. Um, so worth noting, so this will be your first chance seeing Michael Myers with no John Carpenter and with mm -hmm. no Jamie Lee Curtis. So Loomis is back. He's like our main character now. And Michael is back. So we're going to see the direction this franchise heads out without its lead star and without its uh, brain trust. Does it still take place in Haddonfield? Yes. Okay. All right. Well, we're back. We're going back to Haddonfield next time on yes. Body Count. That's good. That's a familiar place. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. So, Graham, why don't you tell people about our social media and we can get on out of here? Yes, guys. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at Body Count Show, where you'll see um, some screen caps and movie posters. Um, I, I told you guys we're going to have some some different some extra content for this month. So be on the lookout for that um, since it's Halloween. But yes, again, you can follow us on Instagram at Body Count Show. And with that, we'll see you next time. Bye.